Welcome to Real Talk for Real Teachers by Conscious Discipline. I'm Latoria Marcellus. I'm a mom and an educator practicing conscious discipline. And I'm Amy Spidell, and I've been a conscious discipline instructor for over 20 years. I'm probably going to have to up that a bit at some point. <laughs> <laughs> and together, we're here to discuss trends and events in education and how conscious discipline impacts every aspect of what we do. For those of you new to Conscious Discipline, Conscious Discipline is an adult-first, transformational, trauma-responsive approach to self-regulation that integrates social and emotional learning, equitable school culture, theory and application, research, and brain-based discipline practices. Woo. So another way to really look at that definition is to pick apart a couple of those things that perhaps don't always jump out at first. And the first one is that it is adult first, that we have an opportunity to shift some gears within ourselves that our parents, you know, did the very best they did with the skills they had at the time. And we're just upgrading that, just like we upgrade so many other things in our lives. And in the process of doing that, when we hit those harder marks, that's where that uh, realization of being trauma responsive comes in. It is the realization that you aren't just left with a trauma, but you are left with the tools and the surrounding community of people to help you walk through that. And our guest today is going to be addressing that uh, a little bit more specifically. But just when we think about that, think about times when you've really struggled and there's been somebody in your life who walked alongside and just provided the right word at the right moment or the inspiration in that moment and how not only did that impact you in that moment, but it impacted you throughout years to come when you would look back at that. Uh, for me, there is this one little phrase uh, that uh, someone gave me at one point and it is all is well. And it, it could feel very dismissive, but on the other hand, what it said was as hard as this is, you've got this and the society around you will hold you uh, while you work it through. So uh, that's why I think it's so exciting when we're coming here to share what these stories are and how we work through these stories. We work through them as a community of people who hear each other and support each other in very big and sometimes very small ways. And conscious discipline really is something that I know for me, touches more than just the classroom or the things that I do with my son. Um, as some of our listeners might have heard before, you know, my aunt passed away. And the hard thing about that situation was um, at her funeral, after the casket was closed, you know, I, I just leaned over, I started to cry, and I felt this little hand push me back into the pew. Um, at church. And it was Sean, my, my seven-year-old at the time. And he looks at me and he takes a deep breath. And I followed that deep breath that he took. We did it three times. And then he gives me this look like, you all right? You know, and I, I said, thank you, buddy. I'm good. And then he just turned around and went back to, you know, listening and doing what he was doing before. So it isn't something that, um, is only 
good or useful in the classroom. It is something that touches your life that you live every day in any situation that you might find yourself in, especially in the most difficult and challenging situations that you can find yourself in. So today's guest is going to share with us about how conscious discipline helped her move through one of the most difficult experiences any of us could have ever encountered. Given that it is essential that each of you make the decision about whether this is a conversation that is right for you at this moment, and this is going to be about her journey with cancer. So just determine for yourself whether this is a good and right time to be a part of that conversation. If it is, take that deep breath and we will be breathing and wishing you well as you walk through this. Our guest today is Bibi Haran. She's a Conscious Discipline Certified Instructor, a teacher, and a social worker with a beautiful soul. She's going to be talking to us about how the powers and skills of Conscious Discipline helped her and her family move through her cancer diagnosis and treatment. And let me just tell you something about Bibi. About probably, mm, I would say a good 18 months ago, I um, changed jobs and I started working with Conscious Discipline. So I went to my first CD1 um, week-long institute in Orlando, Florida. And you know how it is when you start a new job. It's kind of like, I don't have any friends. I don't know anybody. What am I going to do? You know, you just kind of sit in the corner. And while I was there, I met a lot of different people. And when you, when you work at a certain place and you do certain things, like I was over certification. So some people wanted to introduce themselves to me because they were interested in being certified. And, you know, some folks just knew I want, I work with the company. So they wanted to know, well, how do you know, I become a part of what it is that you're doing. And one night we were standing there and I was feeling a little awkward because the folks that wanted to talk to me just wanted to talk about my job and my new position. And then I felt somebody grab my hand and they said, well, I don't want anything from you. I just, I'm just your friend. And that person was Bibi Haran. And I am so excited that she is here to talk to us today because it's not often that you get to share your friends with the whole world. So um, welcome Bibi, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Latoria. Thank you, Amy. I'm excited to be here with you. And uh, yes, thank you so much. That was beautiful. I remember when we met and that was a special day. It was a very special day. And it's, it's really a pleasure to have you on here today because you've been a certified instructor for um, quite some time now. Can you fill um, folks in about like how you got started with Conscious Discipline and and what your journey was like. Sure. Yes. I have been certified since 2008, 2009. Uh, but the journey began in 2001. I was working at Crisis Nursery at an early intervention prevention program for child abuse and neglect. And I was a teacher in the classroom, an assistant teacher. I was 23. And the director, Isela Garcia, she said, we are closing down the center and we're going to the NAYC conference in L.A. And I remember, and she said, you're going to go see Dr. Becky Bailey. 
this is the new thing and we are going to use whatever it is she's saying that we're supposed to do, we're going to do it. That was pretty much the feel around that. We are going to do what conscious discipline is proposing in our center. So I go into this huge conference room. It's filled with people. There's no room. And I remember where I sat. I walked with my colleagues all the way to the front of the room, sat on the ground back when they used to let you sit on the ground and in the hallways. Mm -hmm. So I sat down in the front, in the, in front of the first row and there was Dr. Becky Bailey talking about the brain, the brain state model, the conscious discipline brain state model. And I remember exactly how I felt and, and the, the words coming into my consciousness, right? The, the, the mess, it was so clear. It was, yes. And this is, and this is, this is my journey. And this is my journey as, as tears of joy are coming down on my face. I remember that so clearly. So we went back to our center and we started a book club on Saturdays (laughs) and we started, uh, just reflecting and learning and implementing and back into the classrooms. And, and finally in 2008 or 2007, I don't remember anymore the exact dates. I decided to go to the week long and the rest is history. That's so different than um, I, and I know this isn't what we're really focused on today, but I just remember when the first time I heard Becky Bailey, I sat in the very back just in case it was going to be bad. You know how when you go to see and you want to make sure you didn't get in a crappy one. And I left about 10 minutes after she started, but it was to go outside in the hall where they were selling the materials. And it was before Conscious Discipline was written. It was the, there's got to be a better way. And I was like, I want that. So it is that funny experience of just when you hear it, you know it. Uh, when it resonates with everything that you desire to be in the world, you grab a hold. So that is such a cool entry story. And man, Bibi, you are such a heart and soul of mm-hmm. what happens in the conscious discipline world. It is just such a delight uh, to have this experience exposed to the world, like Latoria said. Thank and, you. And you know, Bibi, it's like, you found out about conscious discipline because it had to do with your job. And a lot of folks think that conscious discipline is just something that you use when you're working with children. But you have a very heartfelt story that I think would be helpful for others to hear about how you were able to use conscious discipline in your real life. Like it wasn't a nine to five thing. It was a I need this today, and this is going to help me through a particular journey that um, you were on. Can you share a little bit with us about um, how you were able to use conscious discipline, not just in a classroom, but in your everyday walk? Absolutely, Latoria. Yes, uh, it definitely has been a journey ever since 2001, and it started with uh, working on my own family of origin, where I come from, and my own sense of belonging, coming from a family of a Mexican father and American mother, two cultures, to uh, several different races, and uh, two countries, uh, two different families. And so Conscious Discipline helped me understand myself 
you know, in my story, uh, along with other people in my life and other other experiences. But consciousness was definitely the catalyst of that growth for me. But the most powerful experience I've had where I've been challenged to to really put into practice what I've learned from conscious discipline was uh, breast cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, about five years ago, I was diagnosed with uh, stage 2B uh, breast cancer. It is uh, the most common one, they call it, but it, it's also the most treatable one. And those words were very, very good words for me to hear. Mm-hmm. And that's why I keep repeating them. Uh, but yes, uh, it was definitely a life-changing experience. When you, uh, I think that people who um, have had experiences with conscious discipline probably resonate really strongly with when you say that conscious discipline had that impact on your life. When it really came push to shove and it was that facing the personal crisis in such a big way, what about it was holding you in place? So um, the, the practice, the uh, particular mindset, what, what was it that you grabbed a hold of, do you think? So initially, I, the initial diagnosis, the first two weeks, I could not grab a hold of anything. Yeah. So anxious got a hold of me and scared got a hold of me. And I did not, I did not know what to grab onto. And at that point, I think people were just grabbing me, holding me, and I could not make sense of anything. But the, the one thing I started doing on day one, day one, the day, day one of, of, of diagnosis, not of diagnosis, but the actual ultrasound that says, yes, you have it. We know you have it and you need a biopsy. That was really day one. And I started a structured routine of diaphragmatic breathing, belly breathing, and it was for survival. That was the first skill that came to me. And it was obvious that that I knew how to open it up. It was an anticipated gift. I knew it. I It was right there for me. Didn't even have to knock on the door. I opened it up. And I just started breathing. And so it, it was really, really amazing to be able to understand um, what that was going to do to me. And the effects were were uh, immediate. I, and you can probably tell in my voice how it's, it's mm-hmm. right, that these emotions are coming right, right now. I'm, I'm, I'm a little activated right now. And just by remembering that day. And so what well, what happened was I would start talking like this where my voice is shaky and I start uh, feeling how anxious and scared are taking over. And then I started breathing in through my nose and, and expanding my belly, uh, four count and then the eight count. And I... I kept going. I was I was probably at 20 and at 20 deep breaths, I start noticing my voice calming down, mm-hmm. my body relaxing, my whole demeanor changing. And then I was able to let my husband in in those mm-hmm. moments, sit down and do some talking about what mm-hmm. the next steps were about to be. 
Does that make sense? That was the first thing. And you know, what's interesting as you were saying that, and you said it first, you know, you can probably hear it in my voice because you were bringing up the, the trauma of that. When you started talking about breathing, your voice settled. It was interesting how it wasn't just the memory of the anxious and scared. You also seem to have a strong connection to how you spoke to that then, and it shows up now, which is really, uh, you know, when you said it was the gift that you opened, uh, the gift that keeps on giving, right? (laughs) Absolutely. And Amy, that is beautiful you say that, the gift that keeps on giving, it that really resonates with me in this journey. Absolutely. What we're talking about, um, I know for a lot of people who might be, you know, tuning in and listening to your story right now, I can imagine that if they've had similar circumstances or known people who've gone through something that was similar, that they may be a bit activated too. Now, when you were talking, you talked about a four count and an eight count. Would you be comfortable with walking us through that? So if it's somebody that's on there with us, they can just take a, you know, three nice belly breaths with us just to calm down as we settle into the conversation. Absolutely. That's wonderful, Latoria. So any of you listening and also feeling activated, um, or you also just want to uh, uh, accompany me and wishing me well and others well who have gone through this, put your hands on your belly and you're going to uh, feel your your belly move up and down in, in a second. We're going to breathe in through our nose. And when we breathe in through our nose, we'll count four, right, to four, one, two, three, four. Also expanding your belly, like you're blowing up your belly like a balloon. And then you're breathing out through your mouth, slowly breathing out at an eight count. And as you breathe out, you're gonna slowly bring your belly in. It takes practice. It really does take practice. So practice with us, let's do it together. So I'm gonna walk you through verbally, and so I'm not necessarily gonna do it, and then you're gonna do it. So here we go, breathe in through your nose. One, two, three, four. Breathe out through your mouth and make your belly slowly come in. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Now I'm going to do one without counting. Here we go. In through your nose and out through your mouth. This time, focus on your belly. Breathe in through your nose and make your belly come out. One, two, three. Now make your belly go back in. There we go. Beautiful. Thank you. Now, breathing is a big component of conscious discipline, but we also have... um, these powers and skills that that folks may hear us talking about. How did those help you as you made your way through your diagnosis and and, and your treatment and 
interacting with family members, how can conscious discipline really help folks in real life? How can it help real people who aren't in the classroom? I'm at home in my living room and the stuff has hit the fan and it's not quite going right. How can you use it in your life? Absolutely. So when I started telling people about my diagnosis, I started hearing a lot of reactions. So people said things, they started perceiving my diagnosis in a certain way. And so they perceived it as something that I've created. So I, mm. I, 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 you know, I heard people say, you know, you created cancer doesn't exist. It's really, it's a, it's a mind thing. Uh, why you, you're so evolved. Um, another one was, oh, right breast, uh, father issues. Uh, you're someone who has worked on those. Why would you get it? You're so, you're so good about that. You're so healthy. And so the perception was that if, you know, if, if I was such a positive, you know, oriented, um, social worker slash educator why and so self-reflective why would I have it and and so I started perceiving these things as am I not good enough and am I not authentic and I had some really difficult days and because I was breathing and because I am self-reflective I I my journey to composure, right? My journey mm. to composure began with perceiving myself differently. And I remember I wrote these things down. This is how it's so helpful. I wrote these things down and I wrote, I am not perfect. Uh, I'm flawed and I'm beautifully flawed. And one of the things that also was helpful is, uh, um, I didn't give myself cancer. And what I would say is I am body, mind, and spirit. And I also would say cancer happens. Mm -hmm. And how I respond to cancer really is what I'm about. Yeah. What shows who I am and my skills and my how reflective I am, that's going to show how I respond to life that happens. Life happens. Am I part of that life? Yes. Does my and, and, and how was I able to to really shift that? The You know, what mattered is the perception I had about about this experience. And then it also mattered that when I changed that perception that, that I was lovable enough and that, and that that cancer didn't have to, was not related to how lovable I was and how, how good I was. When I was able to shift that, my composure changed and my conversations with people changed. That brings up like an interesting view on composure. So many times when we talk about it, it's like when you get triggered, do your belly breathing and then you'll be composed and you can move on to the next step. But you said you had a journey to composure. So it reminds us that it's something that you're like working on bit by bit, moment by moment, hour by hour. And it's not just a, oh, I breathed really deeply for a couple of seconds and now I'm good to go. Yeah, I think, too, we sometimes get that idea that once I practiced enough, mm -hmm. then it's permanent. Right. Uh, you know, then I then I, that's already solidified instead of a person who practices their whole life can still have an uptick because that's what our bodies do. 
So, and, and so interesting sometimes that when you have gained a skill, it, it bleeds into people's belief systems that then that should never be hard for you. You know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's just about, I mean, with our professions and with, you know, uh, you're such a, it's the kind of thing where, oh, you're such a good mom. How could you have a child that's having trouble? Uh, you know, it's the, <laughs> I don't know, I guess I'm not a good mom then. Uh, you know, it's the, it's the backwash of you're saying I'm this strong person, but on the other hand, you're saying, or maybe not, because otherwise. Uh, so, wow, what a reflection that is to, I think, all of our internal messaging systems too, right? That they gave you the external words for probably mm-hmm. what was somewhere inside of you, some, you know, in some process of working through, am I you know, am I, am I flawed? And is that okay? Uh, does that make sense? Uh, maybe in terms of the, how it reflected back to you, what maybe was already hiding in there somewhere? Uh, I'm making that up for you. So I'm wondering. Yeah, no, you're not making it up. You absolutely, that was such a key thing in my life, the story of my life. You know, I am loved. You know, my mother still calls me. And um, now that you know, we have a relationship where she knows what my journey has been. And she goes, you are loved. I love you. And we laugh about it because I I have wondered since I was a child. And it is my journey of really understanding me and the world around me and my relationships. And so it was important for me to, uh, to in this journey, right, of breast cancer and and this journey to to feel connected to others, and because there was a disconnect initially with people's fear, right? People's fear and and their own fear around what could happen to them shows up when they're talking to me, right? And that disconnected me from them, and it caused me to feel somewhat lonely and scared. So the way I see it is is the following. I, I didn't see it as a, are they going to help me or are they going to hurt me? It wasn't like that. It was more like, we're going to help each other. And mm. in that helping each other, I have boundaries and I can use the power of assertiveness. And I mean, the skill of assertiveness and, and say, uh, set a limit with respect and with love. But what really, what I really wanted to do is go in this together because what was happening to me or inside of me, it was not just me. So many people were part of this and, and so many people are part of this because other people have other illnesses and other experiences. And so it was very clear to me that, that this was, although I felt lonely and scared at many times, I also felt so connected, incredibly connected. So one of the things I did was I wrote down and I said it to myself over and over. I I shared this with my mother and with my close friends. When I was crying about what I heard people say to me, later I was able to shift, offer positive intent and say, they want to offer me support and love. And I remember making the decision with composure and saying, I receive their love. Mm. I receive their love. Becky Bailey uh, called me 
at one point when she found out about my diagnosis and she said something that I never forgot that accompanied me. And it's, it's so beautiful. She said, allow your children to love you, receive your children's love. Hmm. And when she said, receive your children's love, which was just a beautiful, a beautiful uh, uh, door to open. It was also open to receiving other people's love. And when I offered positive intent to the people that were saying these things that just that 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 seemed hurtful to me, I also I, I shifted and got a hold of myself and be, I was able to breathe, be composed, perceive myself as beautifully flawed, and then receive their love by offering positive intent. Does this make sense? It does. And what I what I would like for you to do for those who might not know exactly what you mean by positive intent, can you kind of break that down for us a little bit? Because on my end, I know y'all don't believe this, but I can be a little bit scrappy. And if somebody, you know, is coming to me out of the box <laughs> with something like this, I don't know. I don't know um, what my, my, my positive intent meter would have been. Um, so if there's any, you know, scrappy folks out there like me, I think having you break that down for us, it would be really, really helpful. <laughs> All right. Well, I will start and then Amy can follow. <laughs> um, all right, so I'm scrappy too. I I'm right, I'm right there, <laughs> right? Exactly, exactly. So this is this is how one of the ways I like to explain when uh, you know we're in a relationship, we're going around our life, and yeah. we are activated by something someone says. Right? Mm-hmm. We are activated, and. Um, and and then somebody said whatever it is that someone said like well you know let's use my example like you you're so evolved why did it happen to you so my reaction was how dare she how dare she say that who does mm-hmm. she she is saying that i'm not good enough and that i wasn't good enough that it was it's my fault that i'm not healthy because i'm not smart enough, reflective enough, and and evolved enough to avoid cancer. And so my reaction uh, was, how dare she say that? And then my my perception of her was, how superficial is she? I I thought she was more evolved. And so I'm now (laughs) caught in that same in that same cycle of no it's you. No it's you. you. No, it's you. You wanted to hurt me. No, you wanted to hurt me. Mm. And so the thing is, when I use the skill of positive intent, it allows me, it relaxes me from, from, Mm. from that, from that blaming. So I'm composed. I don't perceive her as, as bad as well. I perceive her as being scared for her friend. Mm. So that, that was the first one. All the skills go together here. And mm. then once I am breathing and I am calm enough and I've already had my reaction and I'm back at center because I did some breathing because my husband gave me a big hug or my daughter gave me a big hug, then mm. I use positive intent. And positive intent says, you wanted. Mm. She was hoping. She mm. was hoping that her dear friend 
would not have cancer. Right. She was hoping that how her friend was and how positive and healthy she was, was enough to avoid mm-hmm. a very scary illness. She was also wanting to tell me how much she loves me and yes. how scared she was for me. I think that too it goes to the core of what happens to us when one fear is uh, ignited by someone else's scared, you know, how mm-hmm. our feelings bang into each other. And I think um, the thing that it really brings up for me is how many times we hear people say, um, you need to get away from toxic people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you shouldn't be around negativity. And even, you know, even when we think about cancer, the you need to fight cancer, you know, that there's, that there's negative all around that. And, and I, it seems as if without that, that power of, of seeing love in, in that moment and not fear or judgment, that when we, when we can see it differently, because it's like two things are happening. Either you're stuck with, a, with ingesting toxin all the time from, the, from people who do that, or you have to avoid them so that you don't ingest the toxin. And instead, with that, with that tool, what you found your way to is you transformed it. So it, it wasn't like I'm sitting in the midst of toxin and just, you know, resisting it. You transformed it so that it wasn't toxic. It, even if it came at you and it had an initial toxic feeling, what you transformed it to was that realization that that's not how I have to see it because I, I know better. <laughs> like you knew love. You knew love. Yes, absolutely. And, and what brought me with this friend is love. We love mm-hmm. each other so much yeah and and i did know that i did know that what she was saying is i'm scared yeah i'm scared and so i've had people say to me but you know isn't it so hard to have to now manage other people scared um absolutely there were times in this process in this journey where i did not have the energy nor Mm -hmm. the mindset to accompany someone in there scared yeah. And I would say no, no to a visit. I would mm-hmm. say um, I only have two minutes to talk on the phone right now. Um, I I have a lot of friends and a lot of family, people who love me and I love them. I am loved. And I practiced assertiveness. And that was very hard for me because I was also practicing uh, loving me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was important, important uh, to feel empowered and say what you said was hurtful. A cousin that I have in Mexico, I love her so much. She she said to me something about the the right breast uh, issues with your father or with your husband. And again, in her voice, you can hear the just work those things out. And <laughs> I'm sure that you're gonna. You're going to be fine. And, and I, I was shaking. I wanted to scream and cry. And I just called her name and I said, listen, it's not helpful for me to hear this Mm. right now. I do not want to hear this. And I'm going to say goodbye. I know you love me, but I got to go. And this is not helpful. This, this, this kind of, of conversation is not helpful for me right now. And she said, I'm sorry. Um, I, I didn't want to hurt you. I'm like, I know you didn't. I know you didn't, but I have to go. Mm-hmm. And 
that felt very empowering. And I, I definitely am, am still proud. I even remember that I'm feeling proud right now because it was very powerful for me um, as a, as a recovering people pleaser. <laughs> it was really, really uh, empowering to be able to use my big voice, right? We, we talk about our big voice and conscious discipline and use it with love and holding their dignity and holding my dignity. It, it doesn't have to mean that, that I don't, that I don't uh, respect and love and, and I'm grateful for you, but no is no. And mm-hmm. I mean, no right now. The biggest uh, shift in that, that I kind of pick up is sometimes when you say, this isn't helpful to me and um, I just need to hang up. And the other person says, I'm sorry. I, you know, I, I love you. And I, and, and the, the knee jerk response is sometimes, well, it doesn't sound like it. Yeah. <laughs> And instead, you affirmed it. So, you know, that that I can stand my ground and not bang you over the head with it. You know, it's like, wow, it's such a it's such a dance, isn't it? It's it, like you were saying, Latoria, you know, it's like it's the you know, the crabbies come, the fear yeah. comes, the initial bias comes. And then it's it's not that it will never stop bubbling up. It's just that we, you know, like when you were saying how, you know, that anxiety got a hold of you, fear got a hold of you. There's in conscious discipline, there's a song that goes with all of that for kids. But the, because it gets a hold of you doesn't mean it has to um, dictate to you what right. all the next steps will be. And and Latoria, just, you know, I, I just got to say, uh, I think, you know, Cranky can come in, but man, uh, I'm on this uh, this uh, podcast with these two uh, beautiful souls who transform moments like the one that both of you had together at the very beginning that you said, Tori, that uh, Latoria, when you said um, that, that um, BB came up to you, it was both of you having experiences in your background that allowed you to see each other as such authentic human beings. Latoria, the ones that you've had with being perceived as somebody other than what shows up, you know, that kind of thing. Does that make sense? And and BB, you can't have that skill until you've been on the other side of it. You, You know, that idea of being burned and and in a sense that that sense of purifying that fear enough to not be scared of it anymore, you know, to not have to show up and be something other than just this is me. Mm-hmm. And no wonder the two of you um, saw each other so clearly um, at that event. It just the whole story fits together, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. It does. And, you know, BB, what. In that story, for me, what you did was you you noticed. I'm sure you saw my face, you saw my body language, and you said, mm. and you just kind of took, you know, you took stock of the environment. And in that moment, you were able to come to me as a new friend 
and give me exactly what I needed in the moment. I mean, it was so much so that when my mom met you, it was a thing of, oh, I know why you love BB. You know, it just oozes out of you how you can take care of people and and how you are that nurturing person that wants to make sure that those that she loves is okay. And how were you able to let people become that for you? If you yeah. are always the person that's making sure everyone else is okay, then all of a sudden you get a diagnosis and you don't know where it's going to go. How are you able to stop being that person who is always bringing the comfort and the care all of the time to be able to receive it? You know, I, one of the things, the first thing that comes to my mind is that I have cultivated friendships with people who do also what I do or that, and, and it's not to say that I know I'm walking around doing that. No, I, I think what I'm trying to say is the, the friendships that conscious discipline uh, the community of conscious discipline, you know, my fellow certified instructors, friends, and my my colleagues from work here in Phoenix, m- my family. I think those relationships that I've that I've grown throughout the years were were key to to being able to be and feel vulnerable. Mm. And not lose my dignity, mm-hmm. not lose myself because I was not, I, I never, I have to be honest with you. I never really ever felt, uh, not, not worthy of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is, uh, again, I am so grateful for that. Um, I have so much joy inside my heart right now as I say this. And the first one, I have to say the closest person, the first one was my husband. Mm. You know, we, uh, we had, uh, we sat down at the kitchen table. I remember so well. And I'm, you know, I, I'm naked, right? I'm, I'm vulnerable. I'm, well, I wasn't really naked. Okay. I had some <laughs> clothes on everyone. I had some clothes on. But I'm feeling, mm-hmm. you know, stripped and vulnerable. Right. And we're holding hands. And I said to him, Anything, anything and everything that we've not talked about, processed, that we that we've not lived or that we've not allowed to come up to the surface. We're going to do this. We're going to do this because because I know that that my health depends on not just my physical health, but my emotional health mm-hmm. and my journey, my support. And he just you know takes my hands and he goes, yes. Yes, yes, yes. And that yes that came from him, that came in so many ways and all shapes and all forms from being what the kids want from from cooking, from uh, picking up. And I was able to relax in such support. And I know this is not always the case. I, I know that a lot of people uh, may not experience this when they go through and w- the reason I bring that up is because I'm aware that the circumstances around my journey of breast cancer uh, were were uh, were a huge privilege in terms of time 
in terms of my husband's work. He has a flexible job. Mm. So he was able to take time off, able to adapt our circumstances. Uh, but I want to say something else about this, about this uh, allowing others to take care of me and feel vulnerable. What happened around me with the people around me was was unbelievable. My children were going to a school called Summit School of Abatuki, and there were twin five-year-olds going to kindergarten. And that was probably one of the most vulnerable mm. aspects of going through breast cancer is, is feeling and fearing that my children would not have a mother. After I'd worked so hard to become a good mother with conscious discipline, it felt almost like a, like a, it was such a scary thought. And the, the group of people from the school, uh, the, the directors, uh, fr- uh, the teachers, the parents, and then some of the people also in my neighborhood, in my community, they organized the meal train for nine months. Wow. Nine months. I had people bringing food every other day. Mm. And I felt so loved, taken care of. And some of these people that signed up for, for this meal train were strangers. I did not know them. People want to help. Mm-hmm. And that witnessing that has transformed my heart, my mind, and has a- allowed me to strengthen the consciousness of powers and skills. The power of unity mm-hmm. was such a tremendous uh, 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 experience. And so, yes, it was in a way easy to be loved because they were there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how did your children um, make it through this journey with you? you? You said, I had worked so hard with conscious discipline, trying to become a good mom, and um, your husband is on board with you. How did you guys manage to, to take your little ones through this and have them come out on the other side and still be okay? Right. So my husband said, all right, I am the park dad. And when I was going through chemotherapy, which was seven months, so I started with a a surgery, then radiation, and then chemotherapy. My husband relied on our neighbor friends. He took my kids, the neighbor kids, and he went to the park almost every evening Mm. to play. They played, they played. They'd come back and they'd say, mommy's resting. They'd come to the couch and just, you know, pile on me, give me kisses. And they'd bring rocks. And he played with them. He played with them. Our neighbors played with them. The The school the school was outstanding and they offered uh, therapy, play therapy for the kids oh, wow. um, as part of their love and support. Mm-hmm. Um, our friends were... Uh, you know, mothers, uh, there were so many events at school. The, there was one event that the school does every year and is off to work we go. And every child chooses a profession that they want to showcase. And there's a big show. And I, I don't, I, I was asleep through this. And all of a sudden I find out that this, you know, Nancy is taking over and helping Anders with his project. And then um, I think Aaron, Julia's a teacher, um, helped out with, with her project. 
One yeah. wanted to be a chef, a pastry chef, and the other one said, I'm going to be an artist. And they made props with them. I did not find this out until the show. I did go to the oh, show. Wow. These parents stepped in, mm-hmm. teachers stepped in. And that's how my kids went through it. Mm-hmm. Wow. With support of the community. Yeah, the village. How did you tell them? I, I said cancer. I, I talked about cancer from the beginning. I said the word cancer, the big, the big C. Mm-hmm. I said cancer is an illness. And I said there's these, all these tiny little cells, you know, that we are made of. Um, but there's some cells that are, that are um, not healthy and they are in our body and they grow really fast. And if they keep growing fast, then I can get really sick. And so I'm going to have surgery. You know, they're going to open me up and they're going to take those cells out and then they're going to close me back on. And then later, and then I explain chemotherapy later, but it was so important to me to give the kids a version of what's true. Mm -hmm. Uh, And because they were already scared from, from what they, from the, from the fear and the anxiety that they could see in us. Right. And it was, and, and so it's important to allow them to be part of these feelings. These feelings are our friends, right? Mm -hmm. These feelings are here. They're human. They're with us and they needed to be part of our scared and, and our sad and our anxious. And they were also part of our hope and part of our plan to move forward. And it, it was it was beautiful to be able to be that honest and, 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 and have these conversations with them. And, you know, our conversation with you, you have been our tour guide on how conscious discipline can be a real life aid to the things that you go through, especially when they're not easy. When those who love you may say the wrong thing, you know, how to deal with those types of things. And as I think about all the stuff that you said today, it makes me want to ask you, for those who are listening, for those who may be struggling or those who know someone who, who is, what would be the key takeaways that you would want them to leave with from our conversation? Trust your inner wisdom is my first one. We all, all of us, all of us have some connection with someone. All of us have felt the power of love and the power of connection. Uh, and when we can quiet the mind, quiet the soul, reach composure, shift our perception, then we can celebrate us and say, I've got this. I am. I am this beautiful person. I'm so flawed and I'm so scared. And, and, and that's so beautiful because it is in that journey of recognizing myself as not perfect and, and, and not having it together that I find possibilities. I found possibilities of connecting with neighbors, possibilities of allowing other adults to be influential to my children and having relationships with other adults that are the safekeepers for them. Vicki Vicky Hepler said she is uh, the conscious discipline mother because she, I, she was one of the first uh, instructors that I met. She said something to me a while back. We were on an airplane together and I was scared and I was very scared. And I'm like, what if one day I die and, and my children 
don't have me. And this was before breast cancer. And Vicky held my hand and she said, with this beautiful confidence, we, we've been connecting over this trip. So we felt connected. She could say anything and I was not going to be reactive. And she holds my hand and she goes, and they will be okay because they know love. They know love and they will be okay, even if it's very painful. Mm-hmm. And I know that sounds so crazy. It mm-hmm. sounds wild, but it's true. Mm-hmm. And I and my biggest fear is that my children would not have a mother, that I would die and that they would, they would mm-hmm. have the trauma of losing me. That's my biggest fear. And my biggest takeaway is that although it continues to be my biggest fear, because that's me and that's my human side, it's yeah. also my biggest my biggest strength that mm-hmm. that that we've loved that we love and that they love and that they will they would find love and hope no matter what. Yeah. And I do want to be here, and I'm going to be here for yes. a long time. <laughs> right. You know, BB, my sweet, sweet friend, I have to tell you, thank you so much for coming to talk to us today. Um, your vulnerability, your your special way of being able to help us have the courage to be brave when things get get a little choppy in our lives. Thank you for sharing that with us. And most of all, for me, thank you for sharing love with us today. I think you are one of the people on earth who sprinkles it around wherever they go. So thank you, my friend. I appreciate you and I love you. Thank you so much for, for this moment. Thank you for uh, listening, for being present and for being friends. I truly am grateful. Thank you so much. One of the things that BB said that I am really going to, take away and carry with me is how to deal with what folks say that it's just unhelpful. You know, a lot of times we try to be polite and we try to just, you know, glaze over it, knowing good and well, we're like boiling with anger on the inside that you can't sleep because you're thinking about it all night long, you know, Mm -hmm. but just being able to say what you said wasn't helpful and I'm going to get off the phone. The fact that you don't have to suffer through being uncomfortable. It's okay to remove yourself from that situation. And that's like a choice that we get to make. That is really something that um, I am going to work on because a lot of times I'll just sit in it no matter how comfortable it is. When instead, it's okay if I say that doesn't work for me mm-hmm. and I'm going to move myself from this situation. Yeah. And, and the fact that, uh, and again, I don't think that you have to do this with every single person in your life. It depends on the relationship. But in some of those relationships with people who were doing the best they could with walking through their own hurt and their own fear, um, that she had the presence to... Uh, still hold the relationship with honor and value by saying, I love you Mm -hmm. and I cannot have this conversation with you. Uh, And there's, you know, I think sometimes we think it has to be one or the other when it really can be both. I can love you and not be able to 
handle what it is that you're dealing with right now because I got my own stuff that I've got to work through. And that mm-hmm. I, I think we all hit those places in our lives where um, somebody else's stuff is just banging right into our own and and each person just has to kind of find their own support for those um, situations and then come back together. And the yeah. coming back together is important because a lot of times we live in this society where it's almost cool to cut people off. Yeah. Oh, I don't fool with them no more. You know, I had to snip, snip. I don't, you know, I'm not being bothered with them. And that's not, like you said, if the relationship is worth it to you, then yes. it is that part of that repair that's so important that we can have this rupture of what you said. I found it to be very hurtful. But yeah. still be able to say, you know, I'm going to take my minute, but I'm not going to ignore you forever. I'll talk to you tomorrow. I'll love you. Bye. You know, that that is so uh, that to me, it's more helpful than just having that, you know, cut you off mentality that so many of us have, um, yeah. because it is about this community. And and BB really talked about how she had people on her team to walk this with. You know, even that conversation she had with her husband to be able to make sure that they were on the same team. You know, it's it's so nice. important for us to, um, well, let me say it's important for me to realize I do have people on my team. And even if they say something not helpful at the moment, you know, I, I'm not going to cut them off because there comes a time when, you know, you had that one-on-one conversation with somebody to say, are you rocking with me for real or not? Because I'm going to need some help, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. And it's on some level, nobody walks through life without bumping into some crisis at some point. And it's Mm -hmm. so I think that although this, uh, you know, this was really centered on a physical um, crisis, it, just what you said, LaTori, about having a real conversation with her husband about their relationship Mm -hmm. and what that meant, or her close friend and what that meant, being really real with her kids. And I think back to the conversation that she said she had with Vicki well before this happened about what would happen if she wasn't there for her kids. All of those relationships, uh, the catalyst was cancer, but the result was all about relationship and community, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so right. it's uh, the, I, it, it just is so, uh, it just drives you back to that realization of all the things that we walk through, mm-hmm. we're not intended to walk through them alone. And, and right. how we keep those relationships with integrity, you know, just what you said about how you find that moment of honesty with the people that are, are meaningful in your life. Yeah. Yeah, she did it. And on to celebrations, we are celebrating the growth of our company. We have quite a few new hires who have joined our Conscious Discipline family. So we definitely want to say welcome and we are glad that you are here. As we celebrate, we're also sending out some wish wells, especially for everyone experiencing all the issues that can come along with these winter storms. Whether your vacation has been canceled 
or you might have um, experienced some rough weather on the roads, please know that we are wishing you well. So that brings us to the end of our show. And from our heart to yours, we wish you well. For more episodes of Real Talk with Real Teachers featuring Latoria Marcellus and Amy Spidell, visit ConsciousDiscipline.com forward slash podcasts. You can also subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast app.
What was it about conscious discipline that changed you? I am a social worker. Uh, that was my profession. And I, my whole experience before obtaining my master's degree was very centered in helping others, saving others from their difficult situations, saving others from giving them the, the, the giving them the tools so that, uh, so that their life can be better. And although that, that sounds beautiful and it had so many positives and so much, so much growth, it, it, it was limited. It was limited and it, and it, it, it put me in a place of like a savior. It put me in a place of, I have the answers and I'm going to help you and bring you to me, to the light mm -hmm. kind of, I'm being a little dramatic with it, but I'm trying to illustrate how it was and how it felt for me influenced by a lot and, and, and with, with, with good intentions. Okay. Uh, but conscious discipline, uh, introduced me to a different paradigm, a paradigm that, that went from, again, from saving someone or from bringing someone to the light to journeying together in this mm -hmm. world, to learning from one another, uh, uh, that what I do influences you and what you do influences me. And that our, that, that we co-create is what liberates and grows each one of us collectively. It's a collective experience. Not a one person has the answer experience. Mm, right, right. Beautiful. That was great. That was beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, I really like that bit. And I think it does end up kind of relating into the way that you managed your, your disease and all that. So okay. awesome. All right. Well, let me stop this recording, guys. I think we are good here.
the first one was my husband. You know, we, uh, we had, uh, we sat down at the kitchen table. I remember so well, and I'm, you know, I, I'm naked, right? I'm, I'm vulnerable. I'm, well, I wasn't really naked. Okay. I had some, I had some clothes on everyone. I had some clothes on, but I'm feeling, you know, stripped and vulnerable and we're holding hands. And I said to him, anything, anything and everything that we've not talked about, processed, that we that we've not lived or that we've not allowed to come up to the surface, we're going to do this. We're going to do this because because I know that that my health depends on not just my physical health, but my emotional health. 